So welcome back, everybody, to the 1% Better Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Vaughn Kohler, who you might know as Vaughn, or you might know as DJ DJ God, or Pastor of Disaster from him being the co-host of the MFCEO Project. Uh, he's also a very accomplished author, so I'm very excited to have him on the podcast. And I know he's going to have a lot of value to share with you guys. So without further ado, welcome Vaughn to the 1% Better Podcast. Great to be here. Thank you, Andrew. No problem. All right, so let's get right into it. So just to start things off, how about you just tell me a little bit about your backstory, your hometown, some maybe significant childhood memories, high school, and just all the, the basic stuff. Sure. I grew up in uh, Hutchinson, Kansas, which is about 45,000 people. It's uh, third largest uh, town in Kansas, which is not saying much. But uh, so I've I'm not necessarily from a super small town, but I am from a small town, and I think that shaped uh, a lot of my values. I just I, I tend to like really down to earth people and hard work and all that good stuff. But um, you know, I, I had a pretty pretty normal childhood. My dad was a a church organ salesman, which is a very very niche uh, area of sales. Uh, but he did really well at it because he loved the product. And he was a very, very excellent pianist and, and uh, organist. And so, you know, when you love a product and when you're good demonstrating it, you do well. And he did well in that, in that niche. Um, and my mom, you know, she stayed home. She was a homemaker. I grew up the middle of three boys. So I'm, I'm sort of your classic uh, middle child in the sense of I tend to see things from different points of view, which sometimes, you know, creates some paralysis. My older brother is a little bit more type A, and it has to be this way, that kind of thing. So, uh, but yeah, I had a pretty normal childhood. I, I'm my my uh, very very influenced by spiritual things. My parents were very strong Christians, and I, I that's how I grew up. I ended up going to a Christian school in Illinois named Wheaton College, and it was at that time that I felt uh, called to the ministry. Uh, my sophomore year, I took a class called Pulpit Communications, where we were basically asked to to write sermons now wheaton's not a bible school it's like a little it's you know a liberal arts school but that particular class you know had a uh, distinctly religious emphasis so so i started putting together sermons and i had already really liked public speaking a lot um and i just felt a real sense that that god was calling me to be a pastor and so next couple of years i prayed about it thought about it and when i graduated I went off to seminary. Uh, I had a pretty unusual path in that I didn't go to one. I didn't go to two. I went to three different seminaries. Oh, wow. I left, yeah. I left the first one because of a, of a girl, and I left the second one because it was too expensive. So I ended up uh, finishing my seminary education in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and it was great. It was a Baptist school. I, I kind of grew up non-denominational, but I went to a Baptist school. So then I was a pastor for about 10 years in uh, Manhattan, Kansas. I loved it. Um, I was an associate pastor. So even though I, I did, you know, some preaching and some counseling, I, I mainly worked with students. I mainly worked with like junior high, high school and college students. I've always really, really loved uh, students. Um, always wanted a ministry somehow impacting people your age, because uh, I just think it's a great age. You know, in high school, you're just really struggling with your identity so much. But then when you get in college, you do still struggle with that on some level. But hopefully college students are asking really weighty questions about life. And so I, I've always loved, you know, when I was a pastor, I would I would hang out until all, all hours of the night 
at the local uh, bar district in Manhattan. Uh, they call it Aggieville. And so I kind of got this joking. Uh, this was way before DJ God, the pastor of disaster. I got this uh, yeah. this nickname, uh, the, uh, the the missionary to Aggieville, uh, because <laughs> I love to, I'd love to stay up late in the bars and, and talk to kids about spiritual, you know, really any deep topic. It was a lot of fun. Um, so what happened basically, to make a long story short, is that I'm, I'm kind of a reader. I like to read a lot of history. I like to read a lot of philosophy, um, theology, that sort of thing. And basically, even though I had grown up like non-denominational, I felt led to, to become Catholic. And so um, and that's a whole other story. If, you're, if your listeners are at all interested in that, if you go to YouTube, you can actually just type my name, Vaughn Kohler, The Journey Home. I was actually on a Catholic television show it's really funny because i'll meet people from like paraguay who are like oh i saw you on on, uh, on that show talking about oh your so it's pretty funny um but uh but so i decided that that i was going to become catholic after 10 years of being a pastor and so that was a that was a pretty major major move for me because obviously you become catholic i mean i if you're going to be a pastor in the Catholic tradition, you have to be single. You have to be a priest, right? So that that decision sort of necessitated that I leave the pastorate. Um, and really, once again, I, I I felt led to go the direction of I. There was a there was a school nearby that I really wanted to see if I could talk them into hiring me. It was uh, Manhattan is about two hours away from Kansas City, and just out outside Kansas City, there's a Catholic school. Catholic College uh, called Benedictine College. And so when I was leaving the pastor, I thought, oh, I'm going to try to get this college to hire me. And I had a couple master's degrees, but I didn't have a PhD. So I thought, well, I'm going to maybe sneak in the back door by seeing if they could hire me through the marketing department. And then once I'm there, I'm going to see if I can talk them into to, uh, letting me teach some classes while I'm there. And, and frankly, it worked. It worked really well. Um, so, so I, I went from the pastorate to working in a college, working, working marketing, teaching communication classes. Um, and then, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time who I, then I became, uh, engaged to and married. She, uh, she was in medical school. She finished up her residency. She actually just walked in here as we're talking, but, uh, she finished up her residency, residency, which was in Kansas city. And, um, Long story short, we moved to we moved to uh, St. Louis because that's where she was going to get a job. And then my parents had actually moved to St. Louis from from Hutchinson a couple years earlier. But uh, so we went there to get closer to family. We went there for her to have a new opportunity uh, for a job. And honestly, Andrew, when we moved there, I was so supremely confident that I was going to be able to talk somebody into hiring me. Um, I was like, well, I did it once and I was a pastor for all these years and I have all these transferable skills. Um, and that first year was just brutal. I mean, I, I sent out resumes to everything, you know, and, uh, could not understand why nobody was giving me a chance. And I cast the net pretty wide, not just working with colleges, but like, you know, sales jobs and marketing positions and that sort of thing. Um, and, and I just couldn't get a yes on anything. The only thing I really had the opportunity to do, there were two things. One was that there was sort of this upstart uh, magazine in the St. Louis area that had just started. Uh, it was called the Nines Magazine, and that, that's kind of a reference to Dress to the Nines um, or the Whole Nine Yards. And what this was intending to be 
but the the founder intended it to be kind of like a GQ just for St. Louis, you know. Mm-hmm. And he and I got to know each other, and and he found out that I was a good writer, and so he hired me to to write, you know, write articles for this magazine. But <laughs> I mean, we're talking like two hundred fifty dollars an article. This was not a full time job, yeah. right? So um, I was just really really bummed. Um, I was kind of humiliated. I, I'm like, man, I'm, you know, later into my life, I feel like I'm completely starting over. In that sense, I kind of really resonate with with college students who are starting off in life and they don't know what to do with their lives. Well, I had to do that when I was 38 years old. Um, had to completely set the hit the reset button. So what ended up happening is I did get one bite on a job opportunity, and that was with a company called TriStar water and air and basically it was a water purification system salesman that they wanted and i was like i cannot believe like i had such high hopes for my life now there's nothing wrong with being water purification salesman but like you're literally talking to a guy who felt called in the ministry i was going to impact the world for jesus and then after that i was like no okay i'm not going to do that i'm going to work as a professor in this really great noble uh position well and then suddenly I find out a couple years from turning 40, man, I'm going to be a water purification salesman. <laughs> so I'm like, well, but you know what? I got to do it. I got to support my family. So I went through the training. And I remember the first day I drove out for the training, it actually, or excuse me, the first day of my, my sales calls, they happened at night because that's when people were home. And I drove out and I was driving out of St. Louis into Southern Illinois. And, uh, <laughs> and I mean, the sun was going down and it was just bleak, cold winter. And I'm like, I cannot believe that this is my life. I cannot believe that this is my life. I, I, how did I get here? You know, so I was pretty discouraged. And I was just just thinking about that um, when the phone rang. And it was the guy that owned the the uh, the magazine, the publisher of the magazine. He said, hey, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just going out on a sales call. And he said, well, uh, we just fired our editor. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, we fired the editor. And uh, I want you to be the editor because you much better do a much better job at it. And I was like, wow. And he goes, now I, I can't pay you a lot, but this is what I can pay you. And basically it was the equivalent of, uh, of like a first year teacher. So it wasn't a lot of money, but it was a salary. Okay. And I'm like, sold. No problem. I'm taking the job, you know? And about, we talked a little bit. And then a couple minutes later, he says, um, I do have a, an assignment for you for a, a, uh, an article. And I said, what's that? He goes, I, I want you to interview a guy by the name of Andy Frisella. And I said, uh, okay, tell me about him. He said, well, he's a really successful entrepreneur in the, in the area. And, and he's built this multi-million dollar empire uh, on nutritional supplements. And so uh, next couple of days, I want you to go out and uh, and uh, interview him and, and write an article about him. Um, so that's what happened. I interviewed him. We ended up talking about dogs for the first 20 minutes of the interview because I walked into his uh, office and uh, he had a picture of his old uh bulldog otis not not otis excuse me oscar and i asked him about it i said tell me about it and he's like oh man that was my best bud 
And he just he just literally talked about that for like talked about Oscar for 20, 20 minutes and talked about how Oscar had died. And I was like, oh, man, that's the worst. He's like, you, you know, you know it. And then I told him about my yellow lab, Rudy. And we kind of bonded over that. I wrote the article about him. A couple of weeks later, it was published. He's like, dude, I love that article. And I just said to him, I said, you know, you uh, you have a lot of really great thoughts, man. You ought to write a book. And uh, he's like, yeah, I should. But, man, I'm so busy. So we didn't really think much about that and got off the phone with him. Or I think I had I, – yeah, that's right. I was, I was going to actually deliver more copies of the, um, of the uh, magazine to him. And so after I, after I talked to him about it, I started thinking, and I was like – and this goes to a question that you had sent me, like, when did I have the epiphany of, of uh, you know, my entrepreneurialism? And all of a sudden, I was like, you know what? I am a good writer. I'm a good content creator. Why am I, why am I working for this magazine? Why don't I just go into business for myself? You know? So that's, why, that, that's how I basically started the idea of, of becoming a ghostwriter and having, like, essentially a consultancy where I provided content for people. Um, and the next time I saw Andy, I said to him, uh, hey, man, I was thinking about it. Uh, you got to let me help you write a book. And he, he's like, well, write up a proposal for me. So I, I went back, wrote a proposal for him, came up with a dollar figure that I thought was, you know, fair, but pretty good. You know, I mean, part of me was like, man, this is a lot of money. But part of me was like, hey, I, I, I think if I deliver, this is going to be worth it, you know. So met with him again, told him about it. He's like, done, let's do it. So what happened then, Andrew, is, is basically we just started meeting. And we would, I, I would have notes of things that I wanted to ask him to tease out his uh, thoughts on certain issues. And what happened was we would end up getting in these fantastic conversations. And I think you probably know this from listening to the podcast, but Andy would end up uh, posting, he, he basically ended up, uh, Tyler, our, our producer would, would take some of the clips. These, these conversations would be recorded and Tyler, the producer would take some of the clips, give them to Andy and Andy would post them on social media and people start going crazy and they'd be like, where's your podcast? Do you have a podcast? Where can I watch this? And Andy's like, what are you talking about? He didn't even know what a podcast was. And, uh, and so we kept on meeting and he's like, dude, I think I need to start a podcast. I said, yeah, man, I think that'd be great. I think, I think you're, you're perfect for that. It's just the perfect, uh, perfect, um, venue for you, the pl perfect platform. And then he says, uh, well, I want you to be the, the, uh, co-host. <laughs> I was like, now most people would be in, man, that's awesome. I can't believe he asked me, but you need to understand. I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm from a fairly conservative background, and at the time, one of the other things that I was doing for money was that I was teaching at the local Catholic seminary. I was teaching public speaking and, and rhetoric and that sort of thing, and there was a part of me that's like, man, his language, I mean, he's got a pretty salty language, right? Yeah. You listen to it. Yeah. And, and I like, I'm, not, I'm not really hung up on cussing, but I'm just like, the people in my sort of environment or my circle of friends, I'm thinking, are they going to be thinking what is going on here that Vaughn's part of this? Well, anyway, so I decided, well, I'm going to ask some, 
I'm going to ask some holy men what they think about it. So I, I asked some of the priests at the seminary, and I asked the rector at the seminary. I was like, hey, what do you think about this? I'm an upstanding Catholic man, or at least I try to be. So what do you think about me being on a podcast where like, there is serious, serious salty language? And they were just like, well, are you, are you like promoting immorality? I go, no, not at all. In fact, quite the opposite. I think, I think Andy's ex actually a very moral guy, has a very strong Judeo-Christian ethic. And it's all about being a good person and, and you know, doing, doing right by people. And, and that's the way you build your business. And it's, you know, good work ethic and that sort of thing. So they all, they all basically said, go for it. It's a great opportunity, you know. So that made me feel good. And, I, and uh, it kind of confirmed what I had already thought myself. And uh, I'll tell you what, man, the rest is history. I mean, it's taken off so fast and it's been, it's been just crazy. Um, it's been an amazing wild ride. I'm very thankful for it. We've met, gosh, we've had people on the, I mean, in addition, just being around Andy, which is in itself a, a huge blessing, but there's the other aspect of just some of the people we've met have been just amazing. Um, I mean, most recently and most importantly, like Ed Milet is just an amazing human being. I learned so much from him, from being around him, you know, but we've, we've had Tim Grover, Michael Jordan's personal trainer on there. We've had the mm -hmm. diesel brothers. We've had, uh, Charlie Jabbily. We've had, you know, some, uh, Jocko Willink. So it's just, it's just been a crazy, crazy wild ride. And, and, uh, I think, I think the two things that really drive the podcast are the same things that drive, and we can get into this later, but Andy and Ed Milet started, started a, uh, um, a group, a very elite group called the Arate Syndicate. And the whole point of Arate is it's trying to help people scale their success in every area of their life. But one of the key aspects of that is in, is in doing good in the world and having an impact. And, and so that's what I think if, if somebody told me, you know, what's, what's the MFCO project, what's, what's Andy and I's uh, pro, uh, podcast, what, what's it really all about? And I say, well, it's kind of a hybrid. It's hard to pigeonhole. It's uh, it's success. It's motivation. It's business. But the two driving forces are be a good person and be really good at what you do. Those are the you know um, goodness and excellence is is kind of what drives the uh, the podcast. So I don't know if I hit everything you wanted me to hit, but uh, that's that's kind of my backstory and and uh, you know a quick cliff notes up till now. Yeah, that was. Honestly, that that whole story, honestly, even like maybe to you, it doesn't seem like it, but that's just such a great example of going through diversity, making sacrifices for your family, going down different. Like you had a calling to be a pastor, and then you, um, after doing that for you said ten years, doing that for yeah, about ten yeah. years, then you um, feel like calling to become Catholic, which is actually really funny because I became Catholic about a year or two ago. Did so you I, really? Awesome. Yeah. I felt, I can relate with that same calling, but, um, and then just when, when you talked about how you were just driving home or you were driving and then like, you just talked about how you just felt, I can't believe this is my life. And then all of a sudden, like, boom, something changed. Yeah. And it honestly, it's just crazy how something like that can really change the direction of your life. And, and then it seemed that after that, of course, there were probably other diversities along the way that maybe weren't as significant, but ever since that one moment, that one change in direction happened in your life, it seemed to start to spiral or go uphill instead of kind of staying flat or going downhill, which is that's really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. No, that's absolutely true. So going back to, um, of course, you're the co-host of a very amazing podcast with a very amazing person. 
how do you feel that I know it's a very broad question, but how do you feel that Andy has influenced you uh, in your life? And just yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, let let me start by saying this, um, and this may seem like a little bit of an odd thing to lead with, but my experience with the MFCO project and being being around Andy and and feeling his his uh, his influence on me has had one one sort of negative effect, and that is that I sometimes look back at my time as a pastor and I have a lot of regret. Um, and my regret is that I I didn't have the standards that I do now. I think Andy has had such a profound effect on me. Um, now he may not think that he's got such huge standards that you know I think he I probably frustrated him a little bit. But but he has. There's no question in my mind that I am that I am exponentially uh, more organized, more disciplined, more committed to excellence than I was ten years ago. And so sometimes I look back and I'm like, man, my my people did not get my best, and I I wasn't even sure if if you know, if I even knew how to give it to them. So, so the first influence I think is just a real sense of, you know, what might've been. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, my ministry was some abject failure, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but just to see, just to experience someone who has such incredibly high standards, I would have loved to have those standards from day one in ministry. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, as far as uh, there's a couple things I would say. Um, one is one is simply that, you know, you're not going to be surprised. I mean, the influence is just I, I've never been around a guy that just will not tolerate. Uh, pardon my language, but half assing it in any area of your life. I mean, he he um, he he holds himself to high standards and he holds the people around him to high standards. And frankly, Andrew, sometimes it's a little unnerving and maddening and frustrating because he he is he wants you to drive he wants to drive you to be the best. And there's been several times over the last couple of years that I've gotten quite the tongue lashing. But what's amazing is like it's interesting is today I got an email or excuse me, a text from him, and it was just a really, really kind compliment and affirmation and it meant so much more because i know andy doesn't hand those kinds of things out left and right he expects a lot of you and in fact if he rides you and if he really gives you a hard time it means it means he does believe that you have potential it does you he does care about you and so that's been the biggest influence is just being around somebody who is willing to get in your face to drive you to excellence it's just a it's just a huge blessing even though sometimes i'm you know can be a little intimidating. <clears throat> um, as far as, well, speaking of intimidating, I will tell you this. I mean, I've, I feel like I've always been pretty secure in who I am as a person, but I told somebody the other day, tell you what, if you work with Andy Frisella and you, you have been on the receiving end of some of his very strongly worded uh, encouragements, we'll say, you know, when that happens enough, like over the last couple of years, I'm literally to the point in my life where I don't think I'd be intimidated by anybody. So he makes you strong. Like literally I could meet the president of the United States and I'd be like, well, this is ho-hum because I mean, I'm literally nobody can possibly be more intimidating this, than this man. And I, and I want to say like, he's a good dude. He really is. He cares about people, but um, 
there's a real value in being around somebody that cares enough to kick you in the butt, you know, and, and who cares enough to really get in your face about things. And, and, uh, and I've learned that, um, I've learned, you know, um, Andy's talked to, talks about this on the podcast all the time. I, there is a difference between being, uh, well, let me say it this way. There's, there's, there's no contradiction between being a nice person and a person that's willing to speak truth, even if it hurts. And uh, I don't know if you're, you or your listeners are familiar with them. The, uh, the book by C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia, it's a children's book, you know. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, there's that great scene where, where uh, the, the kids, the Pevensey children, they, they meet the, the Beaver family, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And it's the first time that the kids hear about the great king of Narnia, Aslan, you know, this, this lion that's, that's the king of, of this enchanted land. <clears throat> and as the Beavers are talking about Aslan, they say, uh, the, one of the kids says, wow, a lion, you know, is he safe? And the beaver says, safe? What do you mean safe? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion, but he's good. And so it's, it, seems like a, it seems like kind of a strange analogy that I'm making here, but sometimes good people are kind of timid. They're kind of nice. They're kind of polite. And what Andy has taught me is that, you know, good people really should be uh, strong. They should be people who are willing to speak truth, even if it's not politically correct, even if it's not, even if it's a little sensitive or uh, offensive to people. Uh, we need to be willing to be bold because if good people aren't bold, it means that the bad people or the people that are committed to the wrong things are going to talk and talk and talk and nobody's ever going to counter what they say. So I've been really emboldened in my own life. Um, I mean, I'm like most people. I want to be liked. You know, I, I want to I, I want people to think well of me, like I'm a super nice guy. But Andy has really taught me that, you know what, you got to speak the truth. And if people don't like you, that's their problem because it's still the truth. You know, so that's been a huge influence on me and I'm getting better about that. Um, but, yeah, it's just I, it, I, I there's so many different ways uh, just but just in general, it's it's he's really, really uh, inspired me to greater excellence in my life. <clears throat> Yeah, I believe that's that's really valuable because, I mean, a lot of times it seems in today's society that that kind of um, that aroma and that persona is lacking almost. You know, it's kind of there's it's very hard to find somebody like Andy or someone or a podcast like your guys' podcast that promotes more truth than mm -hmm. kind of like fairy tale land. That that's right. uh, going back to the whole um the like the a big problem in entrepreneurship these days is like. It's made out to be a fairy tale land where like, oh, follow us and you, everything goes great and everyone's nice to each other and you will never experience any adversity. And it's just, it's so misleading and so not real. And I'm very right. happy that I was able to, because it could have so easily been that I discovered another podcast before I discovered the right. MFC Pro project. And then I'd be a completely different person. But I mean, like what you're saying, I mean, there's been times where I've been listening. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what it's like to be in the studio right now just because of how intense it gets. But yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's so, it's amazing that, that there still is people out there who are trying to push that message of like being a good, being a good person uh, means being strong instead of like being a good person means being like super timid and polite and right. really easy, like you were saying. So yeah, I think that's really valuable. 
Right. There's a, there's a problem when tolerance is, t- is, is, is like put on steroids where you, you, you define tolerance as, well, we're never going to say anything that ruffles any, any people's feathers. I mean, that just can't happen, right? We can't have a democracy and have that happen. I mean, don't even get me started on that. But um, no, I, I tell you, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, you said it. I, it's, uh, I, I fully agree. Yeah, and definitely down here at Stanford, I love this school to death, but there does sometimes need to be a little bit more of that on this campus where, you know, talking the truth and like, ruffling people's feathers a little bit so yeah i definitely can relate a lot with that yeah i i I agree and and i think that's the case in a lot of colleges although i would say this is that sometimes um in order to get people to hear you you do have to express yourself in more gracious ways and more winsome ways and so there's a place for andy's sort of in your face type of thing but there's also a place for asking questions trying Mm -hmm. to understand people trying to connect with them build rapport before you lay the truth on them you know because obviously, if somebody is in a particular state of mind, they're not gonna they're not gonna listen to you no matter what. But if you can if you can show them that you care, if you can show them that them that you're willing to listen, then hopefully that breaks down their defenses and they're willing to be influenced. Yeah, exactly. And keeping an open mind too through everything is also yeah like really important. So yeah, you hit you hit that one right on the head. So um, continuing on 